You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's with uh, a heavy heart that I'm here today because of the death of our good friend and host for 16 years of the Classic Car Show, Steve Ronaldo. And not only did Steve succumb to COVID-19, but his beautiful wife and partner and <laughs> sidekick would be a good way, I guess, to uh, describe Brenda. Uh, she caught COVID from Steve, and, and then... Um, she passed on this past week, so uh, our love and our thoughts go out to Steve and Brenda that they are once again together again, and uh, they were almost inseparable. It, it was amazing in that uh, Brenda enjoyed the classic car hobby as much as uh, Steve did. And Steve was acknowledged many times as an expert in the hobby and that uh, he was always in demand to be on one board or another. And uh, he was on the horseless carriage board uh, at the time that he passed on. So our thoughts and prayers go out to him and to... Uh, all of his friends, and we will be missing. Uh, we'll be missing Steve, and uh, it was quite a shock to walk in here, even into the studio on Monday, and uh, my first time back after Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll just miss him. But where the show is going to go on, as uh, I have mentioned to many people, and we're very blessed today to have our good friend, and he had been our substitute host, and will continue to be, as uh, we will be bringing in someone else I think you're familiar with, but that's down the road a piece. So, with that being said, I want to introduce James Dunce, he's with Bell Performance, and uh, James has uh, hosted and and uh, been on the show many times, and we always enjoy James being with us. And today, uh, his topic, and we're, we're going to talk about this, is that since the invention of wheels, and they started moving forwards or backwards, depending on which way you were pushing that wagon, but there was always a need to stop. And uh, even though you got the car going, you still had to stop it. And... Uh, so the first thing you go after is brakes. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. James, welcome back to America's Web Radio, and thank you for doing the show with us today. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. And, you know, a comment about Steve, I never met Steve, but I heard a lot about him. Uh, he was ex an expert in the classic car field, and um, I give my condolences to the family. I'm sorry to hear that. But, uh, you know, the topic today breaks. I work for Bell Performance, and at Bell Performance, I take in all of the questions that come in on the Internet from all over the world. And one topic I get a lot of questions on is brakes. People are not sure 
you know, exactly what they need and what has to be done when it comes to brakes. And uh, it's the one thing, and I'll share you a little problem with that I had later on, uh, on how serious it could be if you do have a problem with your brakes. But to, to start off, I'm going to give you some history. I'm going to give you some history, and also we're going to talk about drum brakes, which most of your classic cars, your older vehicles, they have drum brakes. When I say drum brakes, that means that there is a brake drum on all four wheels. And when I say disc brakes, uh, in most cases, you've got some drum brakes on the back and you have disc brakes on the front. But, you know, there, there's three kinds of brakes. Uh, when you hear the term service brakes, service brakes are actually your four-wheel brakes. And um, you'll hear the term emergency brake. Now, what's emergency brake? That, in some cases, there's a pull handle on the left-hand side or there's a pedal. And there's cables that actually go to the rear wheels, and when you depress that uh, pedal, you'll actually apply the rear brakes and uh, somewhat stop the, the uh, vehicle. The other thing you're going to hear about, and uh, my wife's new car, she has what they call a parking brake. And the parking brake is, is different than the emergency brake. Some people call the emergency brake a parking brake, but a true parking brake on a new car is... What they do is they have a, an electric motor, and it's on each one of the wheel calipers in the back. And when you flip that switch to the parking, what it does is those motors actually uh, send uh, pressure to the brake pads and apply the brakes. And in most cases, when you uh, put the vehicle in gear, they disengage. But it's simply a parking brake. But uh, to give you a little idea about where we come from i had a 1917 model t and in those days they had um they had a, a kind of a funny system for stopping there were there were three pedals on a model t the left pedal was for all the way down was below all the way up was high and in between is neutral the center uh, pedal is for reverse and the right pedal is a brake and when you applied that right pedal, it actually grabbed the band inside the transmission to, to slow down and stop the vehicle. But at the same time, you had to go ahead and depress the uh, uh, pedal on the left to the neutral position, which was halfway between the high position and the low position. So you had to do both of those at the same time. And if you, got, if, if you forgot to do one of those, if you pull on the handbrake back then, it did put it in neutral and did apply that, that band. So it was pretty primitive. On top of that, the shoes, the brake shoes, they had a drum on the back. They did not have anything on the front. They had two drums on the back, and the shoes that they had in there were cast iron. Uh, they didn't have any lining on it. You could get uh, optional uh, brake uh, shoes with lining, but they just had cast iron. And so it was pretty crude. But... Uh, after that, uh, they had uh, what they call mechanical brakes, and we're going to talk about hydraulic in a bit. But on the mechanical brakes, um, they had linkage that went from the, the pedal to each one of the wheels. And when you push the pedal, the, the linkage would uh, activate the brake shoes and stop the vehicle. There were a lot of problems with that because if you lived in a nor northern climate where you had um, a lot of salt on the road, that salt would get into those mechanical pieces and seize them up. And plus, on top of that, uh, you really had to bear down on the brakes in order to get it to stop. But in 1921, uh, they started to use hydraulic brakes around the country. And when we say hydraulic brakes, you have what's called a master cylinder. 
and then you have at each wheel you have what they call a wheel cylinder. And when you step on the master cylinder, it sends fluid to those wheel cylinders, which in turn apply the brakes. But that actually started in 1921, a long time ago. Um, disc brakes, this sounds a little bit odd, but there was an inventor in Cleveland, Elmer Ambrose Sperry, in 1898, who uh, designed the first car with disc brakes. Now, you wouldn't think that it would go back that far. And a lot of people don't, they, they don't think that the automobile was around in 1898. They always look at Henry Ford. Henry Ford did not invent the automobile. What he did is he invented the uh, mass production of the, the assembly line uh, for building cars. And uh, disc brakes, the, the, the reason for disc brakes, and usually they're on the front. Uh, in many cases, they're all the way around now. But disc brakes, they're more efficient. Because they're exposed to the air, they cool better, which we'll talk about what happens when they get hot, get hot later. But um, uh, they're on the front, and, and it's a fact that 75% of your braking is on the front wheels. So because you're stopping and the, the uh, uh, vehicle is pushing forward the weight of the vehicle so that most of the braking is on, on, the, uh, on the front. But... Uh, uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to talk about, because I know a lot of the people that are your listeners have classic cars, so we're going to be talking at first about drum brakes, and I'm going to talk about what what you can do. I'm going to talk about the mistakes that I made when I first started working on these, because you got to do them in a certain order in that so you don't end up with a problem uh, when you get done. But um, drum brakes, I want to talk about drum brakes first, and we're talking about cars that had drums both uh, front and rear and on those drum brakes each one of those had uh, they had a wheel cylinder the wheel cylinder is that little hydraulic uh, activated uh, piece inside each wheel that applied the brakes when you stepped on the brakes master cylinder applied fluid to uh, to all four wheels and uh, that would start the brake uh, stop uh, stop the vehicle uh some of the problems that you run into when you're doing the brake job, uh, wheel cylinders, when you get some miles on the vehicle, wheel cylinders really need to be either replaced or rebuilt. And the reason for that is as the brake shoes start to wear, inside the wheel cylinder, you've got a, a rubber cup. And uh, after time, as the, the brake drums or brake shoes start to wear down, those cups start to move out. The problem there is you end up with the corrosion and current on the inside uh, on the wheel cylinders. If you push those cups back in, if you're doing a brake job, you're putting brake shoes on, and you don't uh, rebuild those or replace those, you end up pushing those cups back in where all that trash is. Then you get all done with your brake job, you apply your brakes, and you got leaky uh, wheel cylinders. So it's something that you have to do. You, you need to you need to either rebuild them or replace them. Now I know on a lot of the classic cars, the option of replacing them is not always there because you can't get the parts. I understand that. So rebuilding is a factor. And when you're rebuilding those wheel cylinders, uh, you got to pay attention because some of them will, they'll get pits on the inside. You'll get rust pits, and if you get rust pits in there. Uh, those have to be worked out before you can actually rebuild it. And you use what they call a brake hone. 
brake hone actually has uh, three stones on it, and uh, you rotate it with a drill inside the uh, wheel cylinder, and you keep honing it until you have a nice, clean wheel cylinder. At that point, you can rebuild it. But there's something else you need to do at that point. And I learned the hard way on this. On the back of those uh, wheel cylinders, you have a brake bleeder. And I can tell you, when I was younger and I did some brake jobs, I put everything back together, and when I went to open the brake bleeder, they broke off. Because I lived in a northern climate, there was a lot of salt on the roads, and that's not the point where you want to find out that your brake bleeder is going to break. So that's something that uh, when you're rebuilding the wheel cylinders, at that point you need to go ahead and make sure that those brake bleeders are free. Because when you get all done, you're going to have to bleed the brakes. You're going to have to bleed the air out of the, out of the system. Uh, another area, which is, is another area that I made mistakes, is on the emergency brake cables. Again, it's affected by the weather, the salt, and those cables, they, they're inside of a housing, and they're exposed to the outside the elements. And that the salt on the road ends up getting kicked up onto those cables, and the cables will seize up. Well, you get all done with your brake job, you get everything all back together, you go to apply the emergency brake, and guess what? It doesn't work because the cables are seized up. That's something that when you have the system apart, when you have the, the uh, wheel cylinders uh, off and the brake shoes off, that's when you want to go ahead and loosen up those brake cables. and You want to lubricate the cables with a, um, they have some silicone grease, because silicone grease does not get thick when it's cold. And you want to apply that grease to those cables so that they're free, because if you need to use that emergency brake, you, when you step on that pedal, you want it to work. And you want the vehicle to stop. James, uh, James we're going to take a quick break. And uh, okay. we'll be back with you in just a minute. And um, we appreciate the, all the information you're giving us on brakes. And uh, Lord knows I've put a few... I've only done one disc brake job. I'm just not comfortable with it, but I've done a lot of drums, pads and drums. So anyway, we'll be back with James Dunce right after a couple of messages. And want to remind everybody that this show is brought to you by J.C. Taylor Insurance. And Bob Wallace is a wonderful gentleman, and uh, we all grieve the loss of our friend and and Steve Ronaldo and his wife Brenda, but uh, I talked to Bob Wallace shortly after I heard the news, and uh, we're going to continue with the show, and that's the way he wants it, that's the way we want it, and I think that's the way Steve would want it. So we'll be back with James in just a few minutes, and then uh, we've got some other announcements coming your way in the near future. So we'll be back right after this. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Hi, this is Rocky Blair 
former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with our host today, James Dunst. And we're talking, James is talking, brakes. And uh, I don't think there's any scarier feeling, James, than, uh, and I know you had this happen to you recently, but when you put your right foot on the brake pedal and it just goes all the way to the floor and you keep rolling so we know how important brakes are we're going to talk about that shortly about what happened okay but you know to pick up where I left off on on the drum brakes um, when you have the wheels off and everything apart uh, the backing plates where the uh, shoes ride against uh, in most cases, they're going to be covered with brake dust, and you need to clean that off. And that's where you got to be careful. And, and again, when I was younger working in the garages, we'd blow them off with air, and I'd go home at night, my nose would be black on the inside from inhaling that dust. And it was asbestos dust. And according to the experts, um, I was supposed to be uh, dying of cancer a long time ago from that asbestos dust. But uh, it is a precaution that needs to be taken, and... and uh, the ideal thing is if the if the backing plates are dry, uh, if you have a shop back with the brush in on it, that's the best way to do it. Uh, they have some stuff called brake clean, and uh, I, I got to caution you on this. It comes in a spray can, and I used to use it right up to the point where I had this plastic device that I it was an attachment for my pistol, my gun. And when I came back from the range, I wanted to clean the, the uh, pistol. And I sprayed it with the uh, brake clean. And right before my eyes, that plastic piece broke in about four pieces and just fell on the bench below me. And I, I couldn't believe it was happening. So I went to the can. You know how you read the instructions afterwards. And it says uh, that uh, this product attacks plastic. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that it, it attacked it that fast. But it actually fell apart right there in my hands. Uh, ideally, uh, if you have uh, mineral spirits and you have a way to catch that, that's a great thing to use. Uh, also, you need to look for uh, leaks, 
from the uh, grease seals in the back. You have grease seals to keep the grease in the differential. A lot of times they'll leak, and that's something that if you see that, you're going to want to replace those so that you don't ruin your brake job. But you've got two types of master cylinders. I get this question all the time. What's a dual master cylinder? What's a single master cylinder? Originally, on the older cars, the classic cars had what's called a single master cylinder. What that means is that master cylinder applied fluid when you stepped on it to all four wheels, period. If something happened to any one of those wheels, that brake pedal would go to the floor. And it was kind of interesting. My uh, my father had a 1954 Chevrolet, and when my mother would drive the vehicle, she would hit the brakes every once in a while, and the pedal would go to the floor. My dad would get in there, he would drive it, and work just fine. Until one day he came home and drove in the garage and pushed the back of the garage out about three feet. And then he believed her that uh, there was something wrong with the brakes. But uh, a dual master cylinder is different. What what happens here is you have a separate cup in the master cylinder for the front brakes, and you have a separate one for the rear brakes. So that if you lost fluid in either the front or the rear, you would still have brakes. Now, the pedal would be lower, but you'd still have have brakes. Um, the other thing on, on the uh, drum brakes is uh, you, you probably heard the term, your listeners probably heard the term primary and secondary brake shoes. Primary and secondary shoes are different. Primary shoe has got shorter lining on it than the secondary. And the primary goes on the front of the wheel, and the secondary goes on the back. I've actually seen cars come in where they put all the primary shoes on one side and all the secondary shoes on the other side of the car. So it's it's very important that those shoes are are put on in place. And the last item on on the drum brakes is they probably heard the term shoe arcing. What they do is when you turn your drums, uh, if you have to machine the drums out, the uh, shoes aren't a perfect fit to go against those drums. Now, eventually, as you're driving, the, the brake shoes will wear themselves in. It'll be a perfect fit. But if you want to have a perfect fit right away to where you have great braking, what they do is they put it, they do, uh, use a micrometer, they measure the, the, the new inside dimension of the drum, and the shoes are actually ground so that they fit that, that uh, round uh, dimension perfectly. And that's what they mean by uh, shoe arching. Uh, another thing we need to talk about is brake fluid. And people ask me all the time, what's the difference in brake fluid? First of all, uh, brake uh, fluid. James, before you get into that, I've got a quick question for you. I, I've done, uh, as a teenager, you go through a few sets of drum brakes, or I did anyway, and uh, I would do my own brake jobs. And the one thing that I always hated was that spring, and I was told by a mechanic, you always, there was one way to put that spring on, and you didn't want the spring in the end that had the, the, the U on it that you pulled and hooked over the rod or whatever it was called, and if you had it facing inside, that was bad if it needed to be facing outside, I believe if I remember correctly. But is there any truth to that, or does it, did it make any difference? Really? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, it definitely makes a difference. And, and to make that easier, they make a, a, um, a pair of pliers or a tool uh, that both you take it off with, you put it in there and you turn it, and it'll actually pop the spring off. And then on the other end, you actually 
put the spring over the arm and you pry it up into position. It's almost impossible to put those springs on unless you have that tool. So oh. it's something that if you're going to do drum brakes, you really need to have that brake pliers to do it. And uh, I've done many a brake. <laughs> I say many, not that many, but, uh, you know, like I said, I'd do my own and then I'd uh, take the drum to a machine shop and, and have it turned. Uh, yeah, and again, <laughs> you really need to have the tools in order to make that job uh, fairly easy. But, you know, you know, another thing to remember, after you put your brake shoes up in place, you put your springs all in place, it pays to take one last look to make sure that everything is seated properly, that all the springs are in place. If you have emergency brake, there's a bar that goes on the back on the emergency brakes between the two shoes to make sure that's in place. I've made that mistake a few times where I put it together and there was something that uh, was not in place and kind of fell apart. But you want to take that last look before you put that drum on. Uh, the next area we need to talk about is brake fluid. And brake fluid has alcohol. And the reason it has alcohol in it because if it didn't, it would uh, get thick. You don't want it to freeze. So they use alcohol. The downside to that is alcohol absorbs the humidity out of the air into the uh, brake fluid. So you never want to leave your can of brake fluid open because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, absorb water into it. And the problem with that is once you get the water in there, then you've got corrosion. And that causes you all kinds of problems on that brake system. Uh, they have synthetic brake fluid now. And synthetic, the advantage on the synthetic fluid is that it doesn't uh, get thick and it doesn't absorb water. The one thing you have to keep in mind, though, is you can't mix the two in the brake system. If you're going to switch your system to synthetic, you need to completely bleed the uh, the, uh, the original brake fluid out of the system and force the new in. And this brake bleeding thing, this is an area that you have to be careful because, uh, and, and you told me, Dave, about how you pump the brakes and the one person would pump the brakes, the other one would go ahead and loosen the bleeder and you push it down to the floor and you do it that way. Well, there is a, there is a problem with that. On these master cylinders, these dual master cylinders, when you're normally using your brake, that piston on the inside is working in a certain area. It's not going all the way up. It's not going all the way down. And the problem with that is when you get high mileage on the vehicle, you end up with corrosion in there. If you do that bleeding method, you're actually pushing those cups that are inside that master cylinder in a place that it hasn't worked. And the problem is in those areas is where you have uh, corrosion. Now, there was one of the major companies that uh, uh, does brakes. They advertise, I won't say who it is, but uh, they had a problem where they, they had brake failures, master cylinder brake failures, and it's real common. And I think it's about 1 in 20. If you bleed this way, about 1 in 20 brake jobs, you're going to have a master cylinder failure. Um, and this is, these are, this is on vehicles that have high mileage on it. So this particular company now, when you get a brake job, you get everything. You get all new calipers, all new pistons, all new uh, master cylinder. You get the whole works because I got sued on that. The, the Really, the, the two best ways to go ahead and bleed the system, they have a vacuum bleeder. That's what I use, where... I actually hook it up to a air hose that's got a venturi on it, and when you apply the air in it, it actually sucks vacuum, and it'll you hook it onto the bleeder, and it'll draw the fluid through the system into the into the uh, housing. That's a great way to do it. I love doing it that way. 
The other way is a pressure bleeder. It's a little bit more involved. And the pressure bleeder, you have to have, actually attach a bracket to the top of the master cylinder, and you're going to put air on that, and you're going to force the fluid out, out of the uh, uh, system. But if you haven't purchased anything like that, the vacuum bleeder is the way to go. They're a whole lot cheaper on top of that. Uh, the next area we'll talk about is is uh, power brakes. Power brakes were first used on a production car in 1928 by a company called Pierce Arrow. Uh, and when they did that, and what we mean by power brakes, there's a brake booster on the back of the master cylinder, and your engine develops a vacuum, and they have a hose that goes to it. And when you apply the brakes, it actually uses engine vacuum to help you apply the brakes. So it makes applying the brakes a whole lot easier. And it makes them a whole lot more more sensitive. Uh, one thing you have to keep in mind, if you're losing brake fluid and you don't find leakage in any of the wheels, uh, sometimes these master cylinders will leak in the back and they'll leak into that vacuum booster because, again, you got vacuum there. So if there's a leak or a seal that's not quite right in the master, it'll draw the fluid into the uh, brake booster. So that's something that should be looked at. Uh, personally, I do that when I do a brake job, uh, just to verify that uh, there's no leakage. Uh, brake hoses. Uh, people ask me, well, should the brake hoses be replaced? The brake hoses on each one of the front wheels, there's a brake hose that goes from the main brake line into what we call the caliper on the, brake, on the uh, disc brakes. And the same thing is true on the uh, drum brakes. And over time, uh, you know, turning a wheel from side to side, the, you know, the, the rubber or the, the product that the hoses are made out, they'll start to deteriorate and eventually they'll crack and break. And I ran into this. I drive a vehicle that's got 419,000 miles on it. Done many brake jobs on it, but I never replaced the front brake hoses. And one morning I got in the vehicle right in the driveway, went to start the car, pushed on the brakes, and went right to the floor. It blew that brake hose out on the right side, right there on the driveway. And I think, my God, if it, just five more minutes, I would have been out on the highway. So it's something that needs to be looked at. When you get over a couple hundred thousand miles on a vehicle, they should really be replaced. Uh, another area, uh, the brake lines, we, we didn't talk about those. Those are the metal lines that actually go from the master cylinder down to the each wheel. Uh, it's very important that that there's steel lines. I've seen copper lines. It's against the law to use copper lines for brake lines because copper is soft and the hydraulic pressure can burst a copper line. So you should never, ever use uh, copper uh, for brake lines. Uh, James, with that, uh, let's take another quick break and uh, talk about uh, the fact that J.C. Taylor is the insurance company you need to contact if you have a classic car and get uh, agreed value on it. And uh, J.C. Taylor was one of the first, if not the first, to offer that option. And uh, it's not really an option. It's uh, You need to talk to your J.C. Taylor representative. And, and uh, we will be getting uh, Mr. Wallace to do uh, some spots and tell you more about J.C. Taylor Insurance, but we do uh, appreciate them sticking with us, and we're going to run a couple of spots, and we'll be back right after this. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. 
I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. And we want to remind everybody, following this show is the Classic Auto Mall Show. And um, Stuart Howden and um, Steve and Ethan and just all sorts of guys show up on that show, and we're looking forward to it today. It's always very interesting. And the uh, Classic Auto Mall up in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, right outside of Hershey. And uh, if you're selling your classic car, that's the route to go. Give those folks a call. But their show will be on at 9 o'clock, and we're looking forward to it, as always. And uh, we're going to get back to... uh James Dunst and talking about brakes and brake fluid and drums and turning drums and just all sorts of information about, (laughs) I guess the brakes probably have to rate at the top of the list of important devices on a automobile, because if you can't stop it, you got real problems. So back to you, James. I'm probably telling your listeners a whole lot more than they want to know, <laughs> but you do have a lot of a lot of uh, hobbyists out there that do their own work. So this is this is good good information, and it's questions that I get all the time. The, the next area we talk about is calipers. When you have disc brakes, you have what's called a caliper, and a caliper has got pistons in it. And when you apply the brakes, these pistons move out, and it, and it applies the uh, brake pads. And we'll talk about pads in a minute. And I get a lot of people say, oh, you don't need to rebuild those calipers. You can just go ahead and squeeze the pistons back in and replace the pads. Well, that works when you have less than 50,000 miles on it or if you're in an area where you're not getting salted. But what happens is, again, like I explained with the master cylinder, and, you know, as the brakes wear, the caliper piston actually moves out uh, to make up for the wear on the brake pad. And then what happens then is on the outside, you end up with corrosion, and uh, some in some cases, the plating on these pistons will come off. And some some of the systems have four pistons per wheel. Some of them just have one. Some have two. But uh, the problem is when you go ahead and you press those pistons back into the caliper, there's just a single rubber seal that goes around the inside. And if you have the corrosion or if you have the flaking of the finish uh, on that piston and you shove that back in, you're going to put that, that corrosion and that plating right there where that, that uh, seal is. Now you're going to have a leak, and it's going to ruin your brake job. So it's really important that uh, you uh, rebuild those calipers, pull those pistons out, examine them, make sure that there's no loss of plating or corrosion. And in most cases, you can purchase... Uh, replacement pistons, and I, I uh, recommend uh, metal ones. They do come in uh, like a Bakelite material, uh, but I like the metal ones. I think they work a whole lot better. One of the problems that you run into if you don't rebuild the calipers also 
is if the calipers are binding at all, you could end up applying the brakes and having the vehicle pulled to one side. So it's important that you, you redo those calipers. On, on most of your newer vehicles, um, you can go to most parts stores and they have what they call loaded calipers. Loaded calipers are completely rebuilt. They come with the pads and everything, and all you do is unbolt the caliper from the uh, wheel uh, and the brake hose, put that on, and buckle it up and, and bleed the system, and you're done. I like to do that because there's no mess or anything, but I understand that some of the older classic cars are not going to happen. Another question I get is I get a question on a pad because you've heard of organic or semi-metallic or ceramic pads. What's the difference? Organic pads actually are made of like rubber, carbon, uh, fiberglass, and material like that. They are the fastest wearing of all the brake pads. They will wear out quicker uh, than the rest of them. Uh, the next one is what they call semi-metallic. Semi-metallic is 30 to 70% metals. It has iron, steel, copper, and resin to hold everything together. And when you say, well, why would you use something like that? There's better heat transfer. And when you have, when the brakes get hot, well, and we'll talk about that right now, when the brakes get hot, after a while, those two surfaces, they do not, you don't have the proper friction, and they don't stop as well. And if somebody is riding the brakes, and, and I saw my own father do this when we were coming down the mountains up in, in Montana, uh, halfway down, he says, the brakes are failing. And what happened was he was riding the brakes, and the brakes got hot, and then they no longer wanted to stop. But uh, these uh, metallic uh, uh, brake pads, they have better transfer of heat, so less chance of that happening. And the other one you're going to hear about is called ceramic. Ceramic uh, is a dense compound, kind of like pottery. It's got fine embedded copper fiber, metallic uh, fibers, and asbestos. Uh, people will tell you, oh, they don't use asbestos anymore. Oh, yes, they do. In the case of brakes and that, asbestos is still being used in, in, in many cases. But what I usually recommend when you're picking out your pad, because when I go to the parts store, the first thing they ask me is, what do I want, organic, semi-metallic, or ceramic? I tell them I want whatever the, the vehicle came with originally. Original equipment is what I put on there. That's that's a good rule of, a rule of thumb. Uh, also, on these brake pads, they have what's called a wear indicator tab. Uh, as the brakes get down, before you get down to the metal, uh, these tabs will touch the rotor before the the metal pad does. And you hear kind of a squeaking noise as you're rolling or when you're stopping. That's an indicator that your brakes are worn to the point where you need to, to uh, do a brake job. The other thing they have on there is they have what they call anti-rattle clips. Uh, anti-rattle clips are things that go on each side of the pads as you install it to keep the brake pad from jumping up and down when you hit a bump because if if they jump up and down you're going to hear that rattle so what these anti-rattle clips do and most of the brake pads now they come with new anti-rattle clips they come with the uh, the clips but uh, the next area is is turning the drums why do we turn the drums um, if the brakes have uh, grooves or they're worn inside the drum, you have to turn the layer off of the drum itself. Now, all these drums on the drum itself, you'll, you'll, you'll see, and it's cast into the metal, you'll see a maximum uh, inside diameter that it can be turned to. And when you get past that, the drum has to be discarded. And the same thing is true with the rotor, that the rotor has a, a minimum thickness that it can be. And, and that number is actually right in the casting itself. So 
if you if you get beyond that and you got less than that, uh, the the rotor needs to be uh, dis, uh, discarded. Now the question is these days: Do I replace the rotors or do I turn the rotors? And it is a fact that we have a lot of Chinese parts on the market, and in the brake area, uh, brake rotors that I used to pay over a hundred dollars for, you can buy for thirty nine dollars. And you say, well, how good are they? Well, they're good enough. I've used them uh, many, many, many times and never had a problem uh, with it. And the same thing is true with the drums. They have uh, brake drums that it's far cheaper to go ahead and replace them than it is to turn them. As most places, when they turn drums or rotors, they charge you $25, $30 to turn a drum or rotor. You're better off just replacing it. And... Uh, Something here that uh, a mistake that's made a lot of times too. When you replace a brake throat or a brake drum, you need to put it on a brake drum lathe and take a real light cut out of it. Because these drums, if they're not, and rotors, if they're not stored properly, they'll actually be distorted. Rotors, for instance, when they're stored, they need to be stored on end, not laid flat. And, uh, I was, I was a parts and service director for a Lincoln Mercury dealership, and when I went to work there, they had this Lincoln that every time he stepped on the brakes, he had this pulsation of the brakes. And it was driving them nuts. They kept replacing uh, brake rotors. They had rotors on all four wheels, but they never turned them. And uh, they did not have a brake down lathe, but I had one. And so I had them take those off, took them home, turned the rotors, put them on, and the guy was happy as could be uh, because they were not perfectly true. Uh, another thing to be careful of when you're, when you're uh, handling the brake rotors and drums is not to get grease on the finish because if you get grease on the finish, uh, you, it'll, it's going to develop a brake squeal when you get done. And then nothing drives me crazier that when I step on the brakes and I can hear that squeaking and squealing from the front brakes. So if you do get grease on the on the drum, use something like lacquer thinner and, and wipe it off. And I do that with the drums. I wipe the drums off before I put the drums on. Uh, on the calipers, and another thing is you'll, you'll see some of the uh, pads, they come with a, a blue, uh, thick gel. And what that's for is it's applied between the brake pads and the calipers. It's an insulator. So that if there is brake noise, it's not transmitted into the vehicle. And, uh, it comes in like a little blue container. And, uh, you just squeeze it on, you squeeze it on the back of the pad, you leave the pad sit for a few minutes, and then you go ahead and install it. Uh, another area to be really careful of is I, I, I got a lot of complaints where I had a brake job done recently, but when I step on the brakes, uh, I get a pulsation in the brake pedal. And, they say, and I asked them, did you turn the drums and rotors? Oh, yeah, we did that. The head of uh, Sears Automotive in Chicago called me one time. We were talking about brakes. And uh, he said that they found that the number one reason for pulsation and brake after a brake job is the wheels were tightened with an impact wrench. You have to use a torque wrench. Most wheels are torqued around 90 foot-pounds. And I've seen them so tight with an impact wrench that you couldn't get them off when you had a flat tire. But that was the number one reason for brake pulsation after a brake job is uh, over-tightening those wheels. And with that, uh, we, we can go on here to anti-lock brakes. I think you're about at break time right now. It's uh, about break time, yes. And uh, we'll take our last break and get right back to uh, 
If you have the dots. one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, and let's get back to Mr. Dunst and the Classic Car Show, and we'll wind it up talking about brakes. And it's all yours, James. Well, now, now we're now we're talking about anti-lock brakes, and I, and I get a lot of questions on this too. Uh, the German company Bosch uh, they developed anti-lock braking back in the 1930s. Uh, it wasn't real popular uh, until uh, the last 15, 20 years. Uh, it's very expensive when you have to replace parts of the control unit under the hood. And the way this works is. When, when you go into a skid, the one thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to uh, mash on the brakes hard because it'll throw you into that skid. What you want to do when on a slippery surface is you want to actually pulsate your brakes. And what the anti-lock brake system does is there's a sensor on each wheel. Uh, and when it detects, when the processor detects that a wheel is locked up from a skid, what it does is it automatically pulses uh, the brakes to prevent you from going into that skid. Uh, and you can feel it. I've and done that on a wet road. You slam on the brakes, and you can feel it. Kind of makes a, a scrub board uh, feeling, but it's actually pulsing the brakes so that you don't uh, go into a skid. My picture on. A lot of times, these wheel sensors. Uh, when you're doing a brake job, you got to be careful that the, that uh, you don't break those uh, wheel sensors. Make sure that they're in place when you put it back together. In the last area. Okay. And uh, you're seeing a lot of this in, in the commercials now, this collision avoidance braking. You know, what is that? That's where all of a sudden the vehicle pulls in front of you and your vehicle knows to stop. And it automatically stops. And uh, a lot of people say, well, how does it do that? Well, it uses a, a combination of things. It uses a radar. It uses a, a camera, an infrared sensor, an ultrasonic sensor. And when it sees something like that happening, it automatically right. applies if the brakes. If they're not on, and uh, it can be very sudden. That's why you better be wearing your seatbelt because it happened at any time. Thank you. But that kind of finishes what I have on brakes, unless you have questions. But we have some time left, and uh, I'm getting a lot of questions on fuel mileage now because of the cost of gasoline uh, is going so high. Uh, so is there any area, Dave, that you want me to go back over or anything that the questions you might have? Uh, no, I think uh, 
we all <laughs> realize the importance of breaks. And, you know, I guess it's one of the things that, um, you know, yes, they've changed, but no, they haven't changed. And do you see anything in the over the horizon of any major changes in breaks? I can't imagine that there'd be a whole lot of changes. Because you've got to be able to stop each wheel from turning. So I think... I think what you're going to see is you're going to see new ways of doing it, applying the brakes, but I think the, the uh, friction brake system is still going to be what we have. Do you think there'll ever be, um, uh, I don't even know what I'm asking. I know that I learned quite clearly when I was a teenager, you don't wait until you get to the stop sign to apply the brakes. And uh, then when I was driving an ambulance, you know, you learn the... Uh, ambulance approach to applying brakes and uh, I used to uh, bother somebody with the way I would slow down and uh, you know and, and that's the wear and tear on the particularly like you said 75% of the pressures on the front brakes and uh, you can go through them quickly if you wait until the last minute to stop that torpedo and uh, so there is there is an art in stopping a car, and it doesn't mean wait until the last second. So, with that, uh, you know, I we're gonna take leave and have a couple of spots, and then we'll be going to the classic auto mall show. And James, thanks so much for being with us today, and uh, we look forward to working with you more in the in the near future and uh, we appreciate you very much and uh, again well, thank our, you. our thoughts are with uh, the reuniting of Steve and Brenda and uh, we'll, uh, we're going to be doing an interesting show dedicated to Steve Ronaldo in the very near future and we'll be announcing it so with that being said stay tuned for the classic auto mall show Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Okay, we're back on with uh, James, and I made a, I did a bad. I was uh, looking at my clock, and I looked at it wrong, and uh, thought we had to get out of here and go to the classic auto mall show, but uh, we still have more minutes with uh, Mr. Dunst, which is always good. Uh, can you think of anything more important in a car than the brakes? <laughs> Uh, other than it runs. <laughs> yeah. Well, we want yeah. it to run, but uh, at the same token, uh, you got to stop it just like your dad you learned, got, I reckon. You got, you got it. 
Well, I wanted to, I wanted to share a few things because I, I'm getting an enormous amount of questions on fuel mileage now because the price of gas is going up all across the country and and a lot of people misunderstand. You know, the, the, you have this EPA rating. They say, well, my EPA rating was 27 miles per gallon. I'm only getting 18 miles to the gallon. Why? Um, I actually did these tests with the EPA in Ann Arbor, Michigan, so I know how they work. And the problem is an EPA rating is it, done on a dynamometer. And there's no wind load on the front of the vehicle. Plus, they're not using uh, gasoline that has alcohol. Alcohol has less energy than gasoline. Uh, so, therefore, if you have alcohol content in your fuel, uh, your mileage is going to drop. Uh, I get the question, well, is there any fuel additive that can help me uh, with uh, mileage? And on the modern cars, we, we have fuel injectors, you have an EGR valve, and you have a, an O2 sensor. Uh, all three of these components are critical to making sure that your mileage stays good. And uh, Belt Performance, they sell a product called Mixigo or Ethanol Defense. And what it does is it keeps those components clean. And if you have a high-mileage vehicle, in most cases, if you start to use the product, the mileage comes back to where where it uh, was when it was new. Anyone that promises you you're going to get 50% or 25% more mileage are lying to you. And uh, those products don't work like that. The trick is to keep the components that you have as clean as I can, so that you get what the mileage, uh, get what the vehicle uh, is capable of. Keep in mind that when you're driving on the highway, if you're over, if you go from 55 to 75, there's a 20 percent increase in your mileage you lose. Uh, people ask me, "Will premium gas improve my mileage?" You buy the fuel that your vehicle is designed for. That's either in the glove box or it's on the field door. And if it says premium fuel, it means you have a higher compression engine. And you want to make sure that you use premium fuel because on a modern car, if you use a lower octane fuel on a computer car that requires premium, your computer is going to pick up the pre-ignition. It's going to retard your spark and timing, and it's going to ruin your mileage. Beware of all these mileage devices. Every time we have a spike in gas prices, these mileage devices come out of the woodwork, and they do not work. Your vehicle, if, if computer is programmed to deliver a certain air fuel ratio to the exhaust system, and no matter what you put on there, it's going to keep trying to do that thing. So you need to avoid that. They pop up before you know it. They're gone. They made their money. Uh, another thing to be careful of on the newer vehicles is make sure you don't have any oil leaks. Now, why would an oil leak affect my mileage? If you have an oil leak from a, a valve cover, rocker cover, and it drains down the back of the engine, the O2 sensor... Uh, samples inside and outside air, and, and that's how it determines what the air fuel ratio is. If you have smoke or something interfering with that sampling on the outside, garbage in, garbage out, it's going to do the wrong thing. And the number one, the number one item, uh, as a AAA employee, we used to do uh, National Car Care Month. We'd line the cars up and run them through a month, do a bunch of checks. The number one item for fuel mileage is, is low tire pressure. And when we were doing those tests, 80% of the cars that came through that line had at least one or more tire that was low on air. And I, when I'm driving on the highway, I look at the vehicles in front of me, and I see that all the time. But not only does it ruin your mileage, it creates extra drag, but it, it wears out your tire sooner. And the other thing, when you're on the open road, uh, you want to make sure that if you have cruise control, use a cruise control because it's going up on, and down on the gas that causes the uh, uh, problems with, with mileage. If you have a diesel vehicle, uh, they have what they call cetane ratings. 
C-Tane's the opposite of octane. Most diesel fuel doesn't match what the engine is supposed to have. Uh, so you can use cetane additives. Uh, Bell has a product called the Diesel, which has two points of cetane in it. In most cases, you get better mileage and better performance than when you're using it. Beautiful thing about cetane boost, you don't have to wait a week to know if it works. The minute it's worked into the fuel, if you drive that vehicle every day, you feel the difference right away. But um, with that, that pretty well wraps it up, unless you have any questions. Well, James, I, uh, again, want to thank you. And um, like I said, we're, we're going to be doing a Saturday in the very near future uh, as a memorial to uh, Steve Ronaldo. And uh, I've just been absolutely amazed at the number of people that uh, have called and, and that I've talked to. And uh, everybody has a story about Steve Ronaldo. And um, that's what it's going to be about, is uh, having people call in and tell their stories about Steve. And uh, I think one of the greatest shows he ever did, just like your break show today, uh, Steve did a show on trailers. And um, it has been replayed many times by <laughs> thousands of people. And uh, Steve uh, describes his ability and inability to back a trailer uh, when he first and Steve was one of the kinds that you know he uh, didn't believe in trailer queens he thought if you owned a car you should drive it and he did and he owned uh, a number of different cars and uh, he would take them out just like you take your dog out he would take his cars out and exercise them and um, he's going to be missed by people all over the world and uh, he was very fortunate that uh, he had a great partner throughout many years of their lives his wife Brenda and uh, she would always when they went on tour she would uh, make a take a photo album and and take pictures of what they were doing who they saw you know these were just great and um, they're both going to be missed in the hobby You know, it's well, I appreciate I appreciate you having me today. I know I went kind of fast, uh, but I wanted to make sure that I got everything in. Uh, you know, Bell Performance. They have a website. A lot of these topics are on the website at, at bellperformance.net or wefixfuel.com. Uh, so many of the questions that you have uh, can be answered on that site. Well, uh, as mentioned, we're going to stay tuned now for the classic auto mall show coming from you coming to you live from Morgantown, Pennsylvania and their facility and we look forward to uh, them joining us and uh, their show so with that being said we're going to take our break take our one minute leave and uh, James thank you and we'll talk to you soon uh, you're welcome goodbye you're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.